We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Go Blue with Stu. I am your host, as always, Stuart Douglas. With me is Greg Waddell. And I got to look at your bio on Twitter because you've just been, you're everywhere, dude. Field of 12, Field of 68. Thank you, Field of 68. This is our network. Dimers.com, Slangin' Bets, and Sleepers Media. You and Carter with the podcast. What, I mean, is it not too much? Are you not exhausted? Are you ready for the college basketball season to be over? Man, it might be too much. I don't know. I'm definitely more tired right now than I was in November. But uh, <laughs> I, look, I'm a man of many faces. Some people call me a mutant, Stu. Yeah. But uh, I'm glad to be here. I'll say that. I think uh, a lot of people constantly use a trope when they go on podcasts of like longtime listener. I can genuinely say of this one, I've listened to this show since its first existence. So big fan of yours, big fan Love of the show. That. And I'm hyped to be here, my friend. I appreciate that. I need all the support that I can possibly get. And especially when it comes to Michigan basketball, this year has been an interesting roller coaster. And I know you've had strong opinions on things, but we'll get into some specifics. They the devastating loss last week to Wisconsin. I mean, that just, that literally broke my heart. And at this point um, it's becoming a, an empathy thing. I'm really feeling for these kids because I see the talent and the ability and they're just not quite getting over the hump. But they turned around against Michigan State. Huge win. I mean, an unbelievable second half. Something I don't think they've shown all year. Does that Michigan State game give you hope? Maybe there's a possibility they can win out the regular season. Maybe make a run in the Big Ten tournament. Somehow sneak their way into the tournament. It does give me hope. But, it, God, it's probably going to be false hope, isn't it? Like. This, hard, this does yeah. feel it feels very different than last year when it definitely reached a point where it was like, oh, they've turned a corner. 
I think this team has had plenty of opportunities to turn the corner. Yeah. And then they've just let the the hiccups along the way prevent them from like the the week that we'll look back on at the end of this season, whether they make it or not, is going to be that Indiana, Wisconsin back to back. And they had yep. plenty of chances to win both of those games. Really, they only needed one of the two. And you'd be feeling pretty good about their bubble chances right now. Um, I do think like from everything the the smart people at the field of 68 tell me they need three of the final four. So not impossible. No. And uh, I think there's some schedule breaks here with Rutgers having some injury concerns right now that, you know, they have a very real chance of going two and oh this week and then everything resets. But uh, yeah, it's it, it's hope that I'm trying to talk myself out of because it, from every minute I've watched of this team this season, I want to believe in it. I just don't know that I can get there with the sum of the parts not fully adding up yet. Yeah, it's uh, I think three of the four with probably the caveat that one of the three has to be Indiana. Like you just have to win that yep. game. But I'm I think I've turned I think I've gone like totally Buddha and I've turned like a mental corner and I've reached this existence of um, that has been untapped before in my fandom this season. It's like. I believe in this team, and even if they don't win, I still am going to believe in this team, and I'll be fine with the end result. And that's because I really do like the talent on this team, and I really have liked watching the journey develop with Jawan as a coach, with these players learning. I mean, it's so – it's it's becoming cliche at this point. How many times I have to say it, but it's so easy to forget that they are young kids, and like you have to remind yourself of that. And that it just is, it's a longer process than a full season. Like the, like for Doug and even jet, even though he'll probably be gone and Kobe and Terrence's first year with major minutes, cheddar Terrace name, whoever else um, it, it's a, it's really a second year thing. Like look, we should really be having these expectations next year, um, depending on what Hunter is going to do. But I really enjoyed watching the talent of this team. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is this a blasphemous statement? I think they have possibly top to bottom, let's say starting five and six, most talent when it's when it's on. Is there somebody else you think is more talented overall in the Big Ten? Uh honestly, probably not because everybody has holes, right? Like the yeah. the the first name that comes to mind for me is Indiana, but without Xavier Johnson for the bulk of the season, like they're really Hood Shafino and TJD, and I don't think I'd take their third or fourth guys over Michigan's third guy for sure. Right. Um, per Purdue's another one. It's like you want to point at them and say they're one of the best teams in the country, and they are, and Zach Eady's the national player of the year. But, I mean, they're doing this with two true freshmen in the backcourt. Like, it it's special what Matt Painter's done, but nobody would say that that's the most talented group you've ever seen. So right. I think that's the most frustrating part for me, though, is and it's also the hardest thing as a fan for me to square is uh, like Kobe Bufkin and Jet Howard and Hunter Dickinson are each individually that talented. And Kobe hasn't always played that way this season. He's really come along in the second half. Yep. And, you know, Jet, for as talented as he is, he's probably a lottery pick. It hasn't always translated to production, but it's just kind of crazy to actually step back and realize like there aren't many teams in college basketball this season or even in the last decade that have had someone who made an All-American team and then also two guys who got drafted in the first round of the NBA draft. And it's not a given that that's going to happen. But like historically, those teams are teams that do really well in the win loss column and yep. have success in March. And I think it's been hard for me to, to sort of square up and you want to point fingers and blame when that doesn't add up. 
Um, but I think the truth is like everybody besides those three is just so new to this. Like you said, Terrence Williams, first time in a big role, Doug McDaniel thrust into the fire. I mean, the entire bench is brand new in a Michigan uniform to play in a rotation for this team. So, um, I don't think I'm all the way where you are yet of like, whatever happens, you know, I'm enjoying watching them grow. I will say Doug and Terrace, I mean, to win a game against Michigan state, because those two, played as well as they did that gives me a lot of hope for the future because regardless of who's back from that group of three that we know is so talented i think the future of michigan basketball is that duo at point guard and at center oh yeah big time it's um and that is where like a talented team comes into play where you'll have Terra score eight points in the last seven minutes or doug start the game off with 7-0 run by himself like that's where talent can really be to your advantage and it can really sneak up on you if you can kind of collect it all together when it comes tournament time because those teams are the most dangerous, right? Like I I really don't think that it's super hard to like game plan against an IU, even though they have two really talented players. But that game plan is there. When you got four or five guys that are weapons, um, four guys in this team that can really like create whenever – um and then their fifth guy will come in and shoot and just kind of mix in where he mixes in it's tough man i played against these teams and when you can't quite 100 percent game plan knowing like 40 minutes it makes it tough and that's why it's so frustrating but i, I want to get to the point uh and we've talked about it the last like month uh, on the podcast that i've been on and i want to get your opinion Yes, this team has talent. They haven't been winning. Okay, now we're pointing fingers at youth. Okay, but what's the next finger pointed? Juwan. And that's kind of been the biggest direction that these fingers have been pointed at. Do you think it's fair criticism? Do you think he's the guy? Have you seen development this year? Those would be kind of be my big trio right there of questions for you about Juwan. Yeah, I... I've had a really hard time answering this in general, and I think depending on the moment people have asked me, I've probably said wildly different answers. Like after the Greg Gard incident last year, um, my my initial reaction genuinely was like, uh, look, I think the guy's a good coach, but I don't know that I would say I want him to be the coach of my basketball team, like let alone uh, whether or not he was right or wrong or however you want to frame that incident, like for a team that was so genuinely on the bubble in that moment to have their head coach do something to get himself suspended. That was my problem is like, are you even taking this season seriously about getting us to March? Um, I, I have no problems with the quote unquote trajectory of Juwan Howard's program. That's been a question. I think a lot of Michigan state people have tried to frame up and in a negative way, like his recruiting's fine. The reason they don't have a great recruiting class this upcoming year is because in theory, every single person on this roster could be back. And I think this is now the portal era and Jawan Howard's going to lean heavily into the portal. We've seen him plug gaps with multiple guys for the last three seasons and to varying levels of success. But more often than not, he gets two guys that are in the top six in his rotation that play pretty well in those roles. So I, I do think he's the guy, uh, I guess my, the, the thing that's shifted for me over the course of this season is I'm starting to question what I think the Michigan basketball program ceiling in the regular season is under Juan Howard, because I do think we're now looking at back-to-back seasons where talent wise, they're top three in the conference minimum. 
And to be on the bubble both of those seasons, something's not fully adding up. At the very least with this group, like the Big Ten losses are one thing. It's a grind of a conference. We know that. Yeah. The way this team played in the non-conference was crazy. I mean, they almost lost to Ohio. There was a 10-point yeah. game to Jackson State. Like every single game was just nowhere near the ceiling of what this team could play as just off the guys who are rolling the ball out on the court and going to play. So uh, I, I, the one other last thing I said is a really long answer. I'm sorry, but no, no, um, I don't think we can fully judge Juwan Howard good or bad until we see him separate from Hunter Dickinson. And mm-hmm. that might be a little harsh on Hunter in a way. Um, but I like, you could tell me Hunter Dickinson leaves this team next year, regardless of if Jed or Kobe are back. You could tell me you remove Hunter and things nosedive. Like Hunter has been the the steady force that has kept this team from being absolutely horrible the last two seasons. Or you could tell me he's gone and all of a sudden some of the nonsense off the court goes away and some guys just like each other a little more and there's better vibes to it. And all of a sudden that leads to wins. I don't know, but I do think one of those two things will happen. Um, and I think just genuinely like Hunter has been the entirety of Juwan's career for me. I know he had one year before that, but, uh, you, know, you remove Xavier Simpson, who was a beeline guy. And all of a sudden his first team has just been Hunter, Hunter, Hunter. And I think it's hard to separate. Like it, to me, one of those two is more at blame for this, but I have a hard time deciphering if I would put it on Juwan or put it on Hunter. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Yeah, it's going to be in the, the, I don't even think your theory, he'll come back next year. Let's say he comes back next year. Hunter does. Let's say Kobe comes back. Jet is gone. Doug, Terrace, Cheddar, Terrence. Like that team automatically, I think is already exponentially better. And again, can fill some holes or some questions really they'll win games without maybe answering that question for you. And then the next year they'll leave. It would be ideal. This is like an ideal outlook for me is that Hunter comes back. Kobe comes back. You got Doug, Terrence, Terrace, Cheddar, um, other guys filling in spots, um, Glenn developing, whatever the case may be, all these other players. Um, Hunter leaves after next season, Terrace really steps and matures into that five spot. And that's how you build a college program. Like that would be the beeline way. Right. And so I hope that that happens for him because I think the biggest thing that he hasn't had is that like development for four, like the way beeline built up the four years, the five years, one year before me, and then my four years into 2013 and then beyond 
that was everything. I mean, he needed that time and for a multitude of reasons to get recruits one for him, especially a little different than Juwan, but to build up the culture and build up the, the auxiliary players that would go around your talent and the expectations of those guys and mixing and matching talent with stability and all sorts of things. So I don't know. It's a it's a crapshoot, and we'll never know. I, I think that Juwan is in a really good basketball mind. All the anecdotes I've heard, everyone talk about him. You know, uh, who was I talking to? Was it Chris Ballas? And he said, yeah, dude, we listened to him preach about Wisconsin's curl screen or their, like, re-screen at the top of the key over and over and over again. And so there's only so many times that you can tell players to do it you know, at the end of a season before they like just pick it up. Now that comes down to, all right, we need to establish more discipline and early on in the season with younger players. So there's all sorts of things that like, we'll never be able to answer fully, but I do know he has a great basketball mind. Um, mm-hmm. I, I can just sense that. And he's been around basketball too much, but coaching is way different, right? We all say like, Oh, be a great coach. He knows basketball. Like it's all these guys. Like uh, he's a good player. He should be a good coach or he's a good player. He's a good analyst. That's all bull crap like that's just not always the translation and it takes time to learn all these things like god it's i throw you or me into a head coaching job and we could have all of our opinions and we crap ourselves we'd literally right. pants. yeah right so it's 100%. funny yeah it's hard you know we get paid to, to talk about it and it's like the real answer is i don't know <laughs> but right. that's not sexy so no. yeah it's uh it's it is interesting to see what will happen without hunter i think it's a really good point now I've been long-winded here, but I just have really strong opinions about all of this. I do want to ask you about um, their game coming up. The two games coming up, they got Rutgers, uh, so drop um, day of the Rutgers game, big game, and then Wisconsin on Sunday. And you are now you you've done this series this year. I want you to kind of explain where you've been. It's college hoops to go. You and Carter. Rolling around the Midwest, which is always <laughs> exciting, I'm sure. And you've seen, gone out, seen college basketball in the flesh teams other than Michigan or Michigan State, right? I think you've seen some other games. Yeah. Um, how has that been? And then kind of explain that and then go into like what you saw in that uh, Wisconsin Rutgers game this past weekend. Yeah, it's been a total blast. I'm also a maniac. Like I I just live and breathe and would die for Big 10 basketball going back to when I was like a third grader. So, I like it's uniquely a me project and I coerced Carter into going along with me and he's great. He's the best. We called Jeff Goodman on the phone uh like 2 months before the season and we were just like, "Hey, we're going to do this." Like no responsibility on your part at all to say you want this, but like just wanted you to know we're going to do this. Do you want it? And he was like, show me a proof of concept and maybe <laughs> and we're like, all right, we'll try. And our first trip we pitched him on was going to, to Lincoln, Nebraska. Like that's the first one we lined up was an 11 hour drive to Lincoln in the middle of December. Uh, I don't know how we got this greenlit at all. Rob Doster helped. I know that, but I'm very thankful they've helped us promote it because we've definitely got some new eyeballs on us from doing it. But we yeah. we've now gone to 10 different Big Ten gyms. We skipped all the East Coast ones. Uh, we didn't make our way to the barn, sadly, which uh, maybe not sadly with how they're playing this year. Um, but yeah, I it's it's been great. We've seen Michigan twice now. We've seen Michigan State like five times. So we kind of got the schedule around our teams, which was nice. Yeah. Um, 
And yeah, this past weekend, one of them that we were at was Wisconsin at or Wisconsin hosting Rutgers at the Kohl Center. Um, and I tell you what, man, like I, I was watching that game with my eyes on the fact that my team plays both of these teams in a week and they yeah. desperately need to stack up wins. And I feel a lot more optimistic that they can do that after seeing that game in person, particularly the Rutgers game. Like everybody knows how hard it is to win at the rack or Jersey Mike's or whatever it is. And that this is not the same team it was three weeks ago. And it sounds like Caleb McConnell might miss that game. They already are without Mawat Mag. Like that's two of their dudes. And offensively, this team has already been pretty limited, but now defensively, it's just not the same team at all. Wisconsin had like a hundred open looks in that game, and Connor Asesian went 0 for 10 from three on open threes, and that's why oh, they damn, lost. I see that. So, Jeez. yeah, like I, I think this one is there for the taking. Um, you know, we need Hunter to be great, and we need Kobe to be great. We know that, especially yeah. if Jets not there. But it, it, like this was one I would have written off as a loss a month ago. That after seeing Rutgers in person, I'm like, oh no, this this needs to be a must win given the final two games on the schedule. Yeah, definitely. I watched a little bit of Rutgers that Rutgers Wisconsin game, and I mean, Cam Spencer went off like was just unconscious and so confident. I, I am interested in the matchup. I kind of want to get into the. Um, details of it I, I don't know where you think the matchups lie I I it all kind of depends how they're going to guard the ball screen with Mulcahy I think mm-hmm. um if they do drop coverage I feel like Mulcahy's size is going to be a problem uh, if he can hit like a 10 foot or little mid-range maybe even get to the rim uh because of Maury I think I'm saying that right is a is a hell of a lob threat so you're putting Hunter in no man's land that's already unfair do you hedge is okay. He, I think he's very capable of picking you apart at six, five and seeing over, even if Kobe's guarding him a little bit, I do think you kind of put Kobe on him and have Doug chase cam around, um, just kind of bother cam. Cam doesn't really want to get into the paint, but I think those are the two kind of big matchups there. But I think I, I am interested to see how they've guarded Mulcahy. And I don't know if you've watched more of these Rutgers game. How do you think that like Mulcahy should be guarding the ball screen? But if I'm Rutgers, I am attacking Hunter Dickinson at all times in the ball screen. I mean, a more like we've had problems helping the helper, like really bumping the roll man and tagging uh, lob threats. There's not too many lob threats in the Big Ten right now. I mean, I could be talking out of my ass, but I'm pretty sure you're not one of the best ones in the league. If I'm Rutgers, I'm just attacking. I'm, I'm attacking Hunter. Where do you see that matchup going? And how do, how do you think they should guard that? I think it's going to be a ton of Mulcahy ball screens. And what I would try and do if I'm Michigan, given the personnel that are out for Rutgers, is make Mulcahy beat you with his own offense, whether that's going under, whether that's daring him to shoot. I don't know. Probably a mix of looks, to be honest. But I mean, Mulcahy is not an inefficient guy. Like he's close to 40% from three. I think he's 43% from the field playing 32 minutes a game. But He's the fifth leading scorer of that group of guys that all play 30 minutes for Rutgers. Like that's not necessarily what he wants to do, even though he can do it. And I think in the games I've seen Rutgers struggle, it's felt like games where he feels obligated to step up his offense and take over and force some stuff into the post where, you know, he's a pretty good post player. He's got great footwork. He's patient. He'll bang with, uh, if you put a guard on him, like he'll really take his time almost like AJ Hogard does and potentially get to the line. 
Um, but I don't think that's necessarily a good thing for Rutgers and their offense. Like to me, the games where Rutgers is the most dangerous is kind of what happened and unfolded at the Cole center where cam Spencer hits six threes and you don't even know what hits you. Yeah. Um, so it will be fascinating for me because to me, I would rather take away Spencer. And if that means you put Kobe Bufkin on him, okay. fine. Um, now you can't put Doug on Mulcahy because Mulcahy, he'll just take him down low every time. Yeah. So it, it, whether or not Jet's available and whether or not Jet is e even engaged at all defensively are the big questions for me with how they match up here. I would assume, I don't know if you've heard anything, I'm kind of expecting we're going to get significantly more Joey Baker minutes just given the state of Jet's health right now. Yeah. Um, and I, I'll be very curious, like, can we stick Jet on Mulcahy, or not Jet, but Baker on Mulcahy? Like, can he hang in pick and roll coverage? He has the frame for it, but... I don't know that I've seen enough defensively from him to feel good about that. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine okay, he them clearing it out and going one on one, having to break down Joey all the time. I mean, at the very least, I always love this. Like, uh, you you know what you're going to get from an offensive player, and even if he's like a good offensive player, you can stick your worst defender on him because you know exactly what the job is. There's a singular job, and that is to guard the ball screen, go over it. Make sure he doesn't get open shots. You know, play a regular help side defense, but it's it seems like a pretty simplified task. So yeah, I think you could put Joey on him. I would have no problem with that. Why I would put Doug on Spencer is their actions. Spencer does do a lot of he, he covers a lot of court, but it's not like it's not like Wisconsin's actions. It's not like super unique. I think it's a little more set up. Rutgers isn't super fast, and I mean they can be pretty efficient when they're on. I think he he got some good looks and it was pretty efficient coming off the screens and stuff against Wisconsin, but Michigan has like Doug has improved with his awareness. Like the guards have improved with like guard to guard switching, uh, following guys off of screens. I mean, there was times where they couldn't even like, it was a telegraphed off ball pinned down and they still had problems trailing it, beating it, blocking it, icing it, whatever. So I think they've gotten better with that. I, I think it's not, too hard it's just like executing the little things i think maybe you will agree with this i'm tired of the zone i don't want to see zone no I, more zone get, please. if jet is out i worry that you know they go twin towers and go zone and i just don't like it like Rutgers is a team all these teams right like when you have minimized talent just like compared to pros like college guys like there's always like some holes offensively the last thing you want to do is give up open shots like i will let you hit a 17 15 footer with my hand in your face all day. And if I lose like that, fine. But to give up wide open layups and threes, I mean, that zone has just been kind of porous. No, 100% it has. I mean, I, <laughs> I have a group text literally with like three of my buddies from Michigan. And the only time we even send texts to each other in it, the entire point of the group text is to call out when Michigan gives up a bucket in zone. <laughs> it's our least favorite thing. It drives me nuts. I've sort of just accepted like we're going to see that at times in games, yeah. which um, is not something as fans I think we should accept because it's a pretty crazy move to keep going back to it. But no, I think you're right. I mean, you got to hope that doesn't happen. The Twin Towers look is interesting in the matchup with Rutgers to me, because if they really are without McConnell and we know Mag is out, that essentially means you're going to get Andre Hyatt, who's six, six. He's more of like a hybrid three, four than he is big. Um, and when he's not on the floor, 
Rutgers has to either go super small with Derek Simpson, who's a freshman guard, or they against Wisconsin because Wisconsin rolled out a couple bigger fours. They brought Dean Reber into the game, who has not played a lot of minutes this year. He's a six ten kind of slasher type, um, kind of in the mold of like a Will Shedder without being too perimeter oriented. Yeah. So I'm interested because I think if we want to play too big in this game. I don't think Rutgers has the dogs to match up with Terrace at all. Like if Terrace can do what he did to Joey Hauser down the stretch of the Michigan state game, Dean Reber and Andre Hyatt are not stopping him in this game. Right. But we, we know that Terrace can't really do that for 40 minutes. The question is, are we ready to try to expand that? Or are we just going to save him for the final five minutes of the game? Like they did against Michigan state. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I'm all for overextending an opponent whenever you get a chance, like forcing someone else's hand to do something they're not used to in college basketball. Again, it comes back to the point like the Michigan guys are young and they're doing things they're not used to. Whenever you can do that to an opposing team, I think you always take full advantage of it. I think Terrace can handle playing one on or one on one uh, matchup um, and, you know, at the four spot, no matter who it is. If that doesn't work, I don't know, take him out. But yeah, that, that zone I don't think is the answer at all. It just, it's just discombobulated. But we talked about Jet being out and how they're going to adjust. And we got we got one question for the pod. Thank you, Paul Bear. Paul, Paul Bear's been a great uh Twitter follower for years now. And you know, it's kind of a silly question, kind of not. But he asked, does this team play better without Jet? Oh man, it is. It's such a silly thing to say out loud, but yeah. it like, you're right. Like it's, it actually is a real conversation here. I actually, I'll give my answer, but I, I saw this question come through on Twitter like an hour before this. And the first thing that came out to my mind was throwing something back at you here, because there's a comparison in Michigan history to me okay. that is relevant specifically to you here with jet. This kind of reminds me of, Manny Harris, tell me if I'm crazy on this, but like there was a lot of big time expectations. Nobody would argue that Michigan was a, a worse team with Manny Harris on the floor his final year at Michigan, but that team did not totally gel. There was a lot of yeah. weird stuff going on just visually from a fan's perspective. And then the best two players left the gym and the next year you guys were out of your mind in the second half of that season. Yeah. So like, I think there's a comp there. Not that Jets, not a great player. He's the most talented player on this team. But the last couple of weeks, Jet has not been contributing to winning basketball much at all. I mean, he he takes some questionable shots at best. I think even in the Indiana game at stretch or down the stretch, like we were running a bunch of good action for him. And I thought he had opportunities and angles to make plays on those shots, given his skill set yeah. that were much easier than what he settled for in those moments. Yeah. And it's hard to square that side. Like if his offense has hit a wall, 
it's really hard to square that with how poor his defense and his rebounding are in general. So is that a crazy comp to me going back to the Manny Harris days? No, it's not. And that team, my sophomore year did not gel at all. We, we had so many issues inside the locker room, like with who wanted to do what and what our vision was for the team. Um, it, It was, it was tough. And I think there was some letdown. There was some exhaustion, mental exhaustion there from our freshman year making the tournament and just being so regimented. And it was like a whole new experience for everybody. And there was just a mental letdown there. I think that comp is not crazy. I think that um, with Jet, we overlook him being a freshman. And we just look at, well, Iowa. Well, he can do that. Well, that's not the norm. And he has had bad shooting nights. So I'm not going to say they're better without Jet. I would not say that. I would say maybe they flow offensively a little better. But like Jet is capable of holding the ball, being a little more stagnant offensively and scoring. We've seen that. But Mm -hmm. him being a freshman, it's a very big give and take there. Like he is capable, but he's not KD, right? Like he's not to that level yet. So should we do it every game? Probably not. But then how do you tell a guy – that did that against Iowa, that he shouldn't be doing it again against Northwestern. You kind of have to just kind of ride with the punches there a little bit. But I do think that you can get back to where they were before. I I don't remember what game they started. It was like seven, eight games ago. They ran that sort of like soft break, soft, fast break, um, pin down on the go. And Hunter would start up the center of the court. Jet would start on the left. He'd go all the way deep to the corner. And Hunter would kind of look at the ball like it was on the right side. Like maybe he's going to go set screen and then just go straight over. And that works like magic. And I think they've kind of gone away from that at times. They're still, this team is still figuring out where their offense is coming from a little bit and what their system is. I mean, I think they've ran more sets this year than they ever did um, last year or the year before that. There was so much free flowing with those, with that livers Franz team. And, and I think Jawan's really grown in his ability to run sets, teach sets, use them reliably, mix it up. But again, there's a learning curve with that. There's there's growing pains with that. And I think they just relied too much on Jet to like go score. And I don't think that's fair to him as a freshman. But like you're not like an 18 year old kid's not gonna be like, yeah, don't give me the ball. Like this is not gonna happen. 18, 19 year old kid, like that kid that's going to the NBA draft, like he's not gonna be the one to say that. Um, and it's hard to tell a kid like no. So I think that comp is comparable. I think they played really, 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 really well offensively in that second half against Michigan State without him. And I think guys flowed a little bit. But, like, again, like, Jet going out has nothing to do with Terrace going on that run. Like, that's all up to Terrace. That's all up to Terrace's growth. So, to say, like, you'd you'd have to say, like, oh, yeah, Terrace plays better with Jet out. Like, that's not not what happened. So, there's a lot of things that, like, came all at once to – for this conversation to be happening, but it definitely is a conversation. It's one of those weird spots where you have these freshmen, you have talented freshmen and it's hard to deal with them. Like it's, it's hard to manage talent, let alone talent that has a learning curve and isn't quite like your uh, Gillespie at Villanova, right? Like it, there's, there's totally, there's a this huge gap in how to coach that. And we'll never know. We'll never know how Jet is going to develop. Cause he'll be gone next year because <laughs> he's going to be a lottery pick. Do you think he's hundred percent gone? Like you'd you'd be shocked if he's back. I think if he ends the year shooting, what I mean, what is he like four for his last thirty or something? Yeah, four for his last twenty five. I don't know what it is. If he if he continues doing this, and then he has to have 
bad workouts and bad interviews because we saw what happened with Caleb Houston. You're six, seven and over and you're a shooter. Like he's proven way more than Caleb ever did last year. And everyone, I thought Caleb was a little crazy for going and he got drafted. It wasn't the first round, but at this pace, like he would still be higher draft pick than Caleb. I think, I mean, yeah, obviously comparing draft classes are different, but you, you shoot like that and you're that tall. You got to have really bad interviews and really bad workouts. And I just don't really see that happening, but I will say this Caleb Houston is more of a pure shooter. He's more of a workout shooter, I think, than Jet is. So it's possible that Caleb went in and just torched these workouts, right? Like just absolutely torched them. Um, that's how like Duncan Robinson got his his contract, right? Like he just torched, like he just didn't miss in workouts and it translated into the games eventually. So who knows? I I, I don't know. I, I, do you see a way that Jet wouldn't be a first round pick? Even late? No, I, I think he's certainly a first round pick. I think like, let's say he comes back healthy and plays the rest of the regular season and doesn't shake this just cold stretch from three, which I don't think that's going to happen. I think like one of the next games he plays, he's going to go six for seven from three and it's back to normal jet. But I, I think like the worst case that could fall for him as far as stock would be like around the 20 spot, which of course, if you're getting that grade, you got to go. Um, and I think like, I would expect him to kill workouts. I would expect him to kill interviews from everything I've seen from Jed Howard. Like he's, he's been around the NBA. He knows that world. Like it seems like Juwan has a very respected reputation around the league. Um, the only reason I even ask is because I do think there's a world where given who his father is, you could say, let's just wait one more year. I mean, Jace is going to come back for his final season. I have no idea what Juwan's plans are long-term. I'd expect him to be at Michigan for as long as he wants to be at Michigan for. Yeah. But I do think given that situation, if the vibes, like I, I keep mentioning vibes, if I felt like this team liked each other a little more, I would have that circled on my calendar of like, well, maybe Jet and Kobe want to come back and prove the world that this team could make a run. Um, the only thing is like, I don't think the team likes each other enough for that. And I think Jet, if if you're ranking those three, I think either Jet would go for sure if the other two come back, or maybe there's a surprise departure from Hunter that might swing things maybe there. Yeah, I kind of want to give an interesting perspective. I think it's interesting. One, you know, Jet and Kobe could have like a delicious lunch and all of a sudden decide that they're going to – come back together and figure it out and win their, the next year. Like, I think it's that fickle. Like, I don't think, I think it kind of go back, goes back and forth. I don't think there's like, uh, them not wanting to come back. I think jet would love to like come back and play, but you can't pass up that opportunity, but I think it is possible with your dad coaching. Hey, okay. Now I'm projected at 20. I can come back and get in the lottery and that's even better. Although I actually do, um, differ from that opinion, especially if I think if you're a, a wing, I think you should go to a better team and develop. I think that's easier, especially if you're not like going to be a 20 point scorer. I that's a whole other podcast that we could talk about, <laughs> but it is interesting vibes. So Novak and I were in such competition for each other. Like we were going for the same spot freshman year and thank God he turned into a four because it would have been <laughs> It, it wouldn't have worked out if we were both the two, if we were both two guards, like it just wouldn't have worked out. We would not have been the same team. We wouldn't have been friends. It was too much competition and we liked each other, but like there was always this underlying competition there. And that's a freshman and sophomore thing. Now junior and senior year, we really 
I mean, we really didn't really like each other. I don't think until like second half of junior year, which is wild to say, but like you start to put aside the bullshit and it's not really your fault. Like that's just your, all of your childhood dreams bubbling up and you can't push that down as much as you want to win for the team. Like there are your personal dreams there and your personal, like all of your insecurities as a younger kid trying to figure out the landscape. Like there's so many things that you just can't control. So I think that they, it seems like they like each other, but there is like a lot of bullshit that comes with 18 and 19 year olds. And that's nothing against them. And I think they're probably great people, but there is an unspoken thing there that you'll never be able to quantify. You can never really point to Juwan and blame him or the kids. Like it's just this weird, odd dynamic that happens in college basketball with the team sport where all these people come together with individual dreams and then try and make it work. And it's like, all right, we'll throw you all together. Um, you've, you've, we've recruited you for four years and told you how great you are. Now we got to come in and do a little bit different. All right, figure it out. And it's like, ah, it's not that easy, dude. Yeah. And the landscape of the sport has changed so much too, that oh, now yeah. enables running from that instead of waiting until your junior year to figure it out. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, let's talk Doug McDaniel, for example. Like he came in expecting to be a backup this season. Jalen Llewellyn goes down. He's thrown into a role where he has to play 35 minutes a game now through all of his mistakes just for this team to even have a pulse and give yep. him a lot of credit. I think he's improved a ton and I'm really excited about his future. Doug McDaniel would probably, uh, I don't care if he likes the team or not, Doug McDaniel probably wants to be more of an important piece on the team. And I don't mean just playing 35 minutes, but like next season, does Doug yeah. still want to be the fifth option? Or is Doug like, well, I'm already paying my dues, like put me in some ball screens, man. Yeah. And I don't know which one's better for the team, but like we kind of saw that play out with Frankie Collins, right? Of like, oh, I paid my dues. I helped you win a game in the NCAA tournament. And now you're really going to recruit competition over me. Yeah. So I, I, I like I just can't imagine there's a world for almost any team in the country at this point to like bring everybody back when you've got kids as talented as Michigan has. Um, but I do think like there's going to be some pretty important swing decisions here. And uh, I feel like there's a better chance Michigan does get back maybe like two of those three than people think, because it seems like the consensus is like Jets gone. Kobe's 50 50 and Hunter we all for for, for pros for pros. Yeah, because he's like sneaking into first round grades now, which is yeah. insane. Yeah. Not and crazy, again, like with with wings, like you said, like if you're if Kobe Buffkin's getting a first round grade and could end up on the, the Warriors next season, like yeah. he's got to go. <laughs> yeah, no, it's that's a tough thing to turn down. The one thing now it's easy to say from Kobe's spot to be like, yeah, I want to emulate Eli Brooks, but he's been saying that for the longest time. And guys that have paid their dues like Kobe, you don't know where it's going to go, right? You're either like, okay, wow, this opportunity is coming. I got to take it or, all right, I can still keep developing this. I've seen the fruits of my labor and figure it out. Doug, you know, came in expecting to be a backup. And he's always been like that little guy that achieved more than other people thought he could. And I think he wants to keep proving that. And I think he's now found a good role at Michigan as long as they don't bring in some fifth year senior to be the starter. Like, I think that would be a big mistake. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I, I, you know, we're talking about these guys, like, how do you play Doug? Why are you playing Terrace? Well, it's because of the future. You want them to stay. You want them to develop. Like there's a whole point to it. Yes. Winning games is important, but damn that like in, let's say in two years, you got Doug and Terrace as juniors on this team. 
and Will Cheddar there as well. Like all these guys, I mean, that's huge. It's huge. So it is very important. Kobe's an interesting one, man. I, I think, I don't know. We'll have to monitor that. We'll come back to, it. but I want to ask you about Hunter because I think he is the most intriguing person here. And I want to talk to you about the Valiant management. I think that's what it's called. They got Blake Corum, a million dollars, the running back from Michigan. He's coming back. Uh, that's going to be unbelievable with him and Edwards. That is intrigued. Hunter, you, you, we, I listened to him a little bit on the Michigan Insider podcast last week saying like, oh, he was vocal against Michigan. being like, they're slow to the game. And now they've figured it out a little bit, thanks to boosters and, and fans. <laughs> Not so much the university uh, with Blake Corum, <laughs> but um, they the university has picked it up with this new management or this new like deal. I can't remember what it's called. You, you, you'll know it. But I think it's a pretty good possibility that Hunter comes back and, and finishes out his legacy. Even talked about in that podcast, like, yeah, legacy is a it's a big deal. It could be a big deal. And if there's a sour taste in his mouth after this year, I think I think he's a really good candidate. I'm real strong about him coming back if they don't make the tournament. So I'm very excited to hear your reaction to what I'm about to say. I think it's a, a, a 100% chance Hunter Dickinson plays college basketball next year. I think okay. it's a 50, 50 chance that's at Michigan. And oh, I, it's, it's wild to kind of speculate that, but I'm a little surprised more people haven't speculated it because look, this is all conjecture. I do not yeah. have a personal relationship with Hunter Dickinson. I have talked with him. We exchanged some messages in the last week. We were trying to get him on our travel show, actually. Um, so he's always been very kind and funny. We have a good relationship between Carter and I and Hunter. Hey, nice guy. Great guy. But the thing with him is he very much likes playing the villain role. We know that. He's good. And if there was ever a player who... I think would thrive in a villainous. I'm gonna go be John Calipari center. God, it good. would be Hunter Dickinson. And yeah, if he wants really nil money, like we we just talked about it, Michigan will get him paid. He's already getting paid, but he's not gonna get paid as much as he would get paid at Kentucky, yeah, or Duke. And like, yeah. if I'm Calipari, quite frankly, Oscar Shibway is gonna leave after this year. Like, it's a pretty easy pitch of hey, I took a transfer center and made him national player of the year. Like you haven't had the most team success at Michigan. I haven't had the most team success here. We need to mesh together. Yeah. I have no idea if that'll happen or not, but like I, I would imagine every blue blood in the country would welcome Hunter Dickinson onto their team. So uh, it kind of comes down to me to like, you know, Hunter, Hunter was loud about this last year and this year of he needed to see Juwan Howard's staff make the right changes to give him a roster that fits him. Right. He was vocally yeah. unhappy with last year's team and how that team meshed. And he, for some reason, has been happier with this team, even though I think they mesh worse with the guys they've tried to put around him than Caleb Houston on the wing. Well, I'll battle you on that. But yeah. OK, we can we can fight on that one. But I just I, like at, at a certain point, if you're Hunter, are you really willing to push all your chips into your final season of college basketball around? We hope Jawan goes and gets the right transfers next year after it didn't work the last two years versus like, just go be the face, the the villainous face of the entire sport somewhere yeah. making more money than you would in Ann Arbor. I think that's a 50, 50 call. I think he'll play somewhere next year. I just am not fully confident. It'll be Michigan. Yeah. That's interesting. What candidates Kentucky is a candidate. The whole freshman class will just be. I would think Duke would call him. I mean, they took I Ryan know, that, young from that, Northwestern. That kid from Duke though, is really stepping up. Um, Which one lively. Huh? Lively, yeah, he's got to be NBA bound though. He's got to be. Think so he's that. 
Is I think he, so. I'd see, I didn't see him. I guess I don't know. I don't follow his projection. I figured maybe he needed one more year to like get into himself. It but could be that, when you're that it could be. athletic. Anything yeah. can happen. North Carolina, I can see North Carolina. That's a that would be a big name. Um, Kansas, Kansas doesn't have a center. Like, no, yeah, Kansas could come knocking, and they always have a good program. They're always going to win. Right. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting take. Now, where I want to value on is. I think last year Musa and Caleb were headaches, and I think they relied on them. There was so many mistakes happening because they were freshmen defensively, and Musa and him did not mesh whatsoever. Not like personality wise, but Musa was like gonna do his at all times, and there really wasn't anybody like thinking about him from the four man spot. Will and Terrence and Joey they revolve around Hunter for for the most part, like offensively, like it's work around Hunter, and he has that open that that clear opening there in the paint. I think there was, a, I heard some rumblings. There was a lot of issues last year with like the makeup of the team and particularly like Caleb is supposed to be the man and Moose is supposed to be the man and all the expectations. And we, I think unfairly overjudged them, but I think there was like a lot of focus on that and it was a pain in the ass for guys. I mean, I know if I was Eli Brooks, I'd have hated every second of that season. <laughs> Because I'd have to give the ball to Caleb and Musa, and I could not like we couldn't take him out when they were like could not be in help side. Musa when Musa couldn't dunk the ball underneath the basket, like there were so many issues there. Where this team, I think, I think maybe that's where maybe we're figuring out the vibes are okay. Like they are, they're at least like on the same page mentally. We're like we want to win, but like the other bullshits coming in and clouding some things, but like not from a character standpoint or like really hurting them mentally. It's just like they can't figure it out basketball-wise. So I don't know. That's an interesting take that you have there. Man, now if you put that you put that seed in his brain, we'll see what he does, but I'm sure he's yeah, already Don't Don't clip this. Don't send this yeah. to Hunter, right? Please, yeah, please, please don't do yeah. that. I'll keep my lips shut. But no, man, I think uh, I think you're, you make a really good point about Houston Diabate, and I don't disagree with that at all. I think my only pushback would be I think that is exactly what's happening with Jet right now. Even if they like each other a little more, which I, Hunter's been so outwardly praising of Jet any opportunity he gets, yeah. and he gives himself a lot of opportunities. I mean, he sits in front of a microphone like you and I do. Yep. So, like, I, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think the mistakes still occur. My bigger issue and why I say it doesn't fit as well, just from a basketball sense, I think it should be so easy to just surround a player as skilled as Hunter Dickinson offensively with guys who can shoot the basketball. And maybe yeah. I'm spoiled from the John Beeline era, but like even as good as Kobe Bufkin's been like for the first two and a half months of the season, he was shooting sub 30% from three. And he's, yeah. he, he's had games where he's passed up open threes. So like, I don't know how, I just don't know how you build a good offense. Honestly, it's a miracle how good their offense is when you don't have a shooting threat at the two. You, Terrence Williams is sub 30% at the four, even though he's supposed to provide more spacing than Musa did. Like yeah. I, it's, and God bless Doug right now because he's shooting the ball better than anybody thought that he could. But it, to me, like you went and got Joey Baker and, he plays 17 minutes a game and he gets the attempts up, but like, it just, it should not be that hard in the portal era or even with the recruiting classes, get some guys who can shoot the ball to surround Hunter Dickinson. And this team would look totally different. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see the wings next year. Um, we'll see how Washington comes in. I mean, I would just give him more patience, how Grand Gleg develops. I don't know if he's your perfect three man. Uh, Yusef maybe could play the three. He's come in and not been shy from three. Um, I like Yusuf long term a lot, 
Yeah, so do I. I think he'll be good next year. Isaiah Barnes. I, I do think if you can show Hunter one thing, if Kobe and Doug both come back, you got Terrence and Will another year, Terrace, and you can go get like a really good 3 and D wing. And that sounds like I'm talking about the NBA, but like go get a 3 and D wing. And I think that's attractive for Hunter. I mean, I, I've honestly kind of been shocked about how um what's what's the word this isn't the right term but like giving to the other guys offensively especially late in games i'm like dude you need to go demand the ball but he has he's been very accommodating to setting ball screens and running the offense and hasn't seemed ticked off about it at all uh, yeah. so it's been it's been really interesting but we've been going a long time i want to get to the betting part before we get out of here so we're going to get into your season, you've had a really successful year this year. I mean, and your I want to talk about your Jacob Pirtle ladder. It was um, unbelievable. I can't believe I missed out on that. But I've been throwing down these same game parlays where it's like Buffkin over three assists, uh, Jet over 10 points, Hunter over 17 points. And one of these days I'm going to hit it for like a thousand bucks. I'm excited. These same game parlays, I don't know why I've not been using them all season uh, because they're really not that hard. But like, how, how's your season been going? You're part of dimer.com. Dimers, right? dimers. Yeah. yeah. Tell me, tell me about that. Yeah. So, uh, gambling's it, it's, it's fun. It's interesting, man, because I never really set out to be a gambling guy at all. Like I'm much more naturally interested in just college basketball, but I love betting recreationally for fun. Yeah. Um, and kind of how I started getting any sort of self-built platform just through Twitter was, uh, during the COVID year, I started putting out just picks just to talk basketball and sure. people seem to gravitate toward it and it became more of an opportunity type thing dimers is the company i work for um they are essentially like a a, a content aggregation company that has their own model where you know they'll simulate every single sporting event ten thousand times i have no idea how it works all i know is that it works yeah. um and it spits out predictions of what games are going to be and more often than not it has an edge on what the books have so it's been fun. They've let me do a lot of video stuff for them. And I'm yeah. always trying to think creatively because I feel like, you know, I, I kind of know what betting content people will like consuming compared to, you know, just here's the answer of what bets there are. Like you have to <laughs> yeah. serve it up in the in the right way. For we like a show, right? Like, attention. why are we doing this? Right. Exactly. Exactly. So there's an interesting spin there and it, it, it differentiates between what we're doing at the field of 68, which is nice. I get to kind of play both sides of it, but uh, yeah, this year has been really fun. I've had some good success. I would say like, I think college basketball is probably my strongest suit. I just feel like I know the most there and I, I definitely am the most profitable from a betting standpoint there, but you mentioned it, man, those same game parlays can get crazy in They're the exciting. NBA. They can get They're crazy. Well, that pearl ladder, explain that really quick. You did the over-under, and then you did, it was like, a, like seven, and you did eight, ten, maybe even 12, and you hit all of them, and I was like, God, that's a lot of money. Yeah, man. So the the ladder concept is something I got introduced to from a buddy that I've worked with a little bit at Dimers, and yeah. I mean, this this guy does it like, I, I, like he does multiple a night every single night of the NBA season. 
So one of the biggest edges, quote unquote, of the night from the dimer simulation was the Pirtle rebounds. And so, yeah, I just I, I'm like, all right, we're going to go seven and a half, eight and a half, nine and a half, ten and a half, eleven and a half, all of it, all the way up from like even money to just plus a thousand, the most yeah. absurd odds ever. And uh, it's got to be one of the more satisfying bets you can possibly hit, because when you start to cross a couple of those thresholds, you already know you've made money. And then yeah. it's just yeah. gravy. You're I just hoping for the yeah. biggest possible payout. So I uh, that's probably like the only win I've had in NBA season, though, I'm gonna be oh, really? honest with you. That thing, like it drains all the winnings I get from college because NBA is so fluky. It's yeah. like at last minute, 10 minutes before tip off, somebody's scratched and everything's yeah. out. Yeah. You can do you can bet the first month of NBA basketball and the playoffs. And that's yes. pretty much all I know how to do because then I don't know who's playing, who cares, what's a back to back. I don't know. But like the first month and the last month, that's pretty much my bread and butter there with NBA. Otherwise, I just suck at it. But you're what now? 30 games over over 30 games over 500 in college basketball. 30 over 500 this year, which is uh, about where I've ended the last couple years. And I try to do like three picks a day. So yeah, solid. We'll take that. That's a good run. Yeah, you'll take that. <laughs> I need to be following. Uh, Greg, man, I appreciate you. Everybody go follow him. Dimers, follow him on Twitter. Field 68, Sleepers Network, College Hoops to Go. This guy does not stop. It's Sleepers Media, but they don't sleep. It's insane. <laughs> He's doing, putting out great work. Greg, I appreciate you to no end. I'm excited to keep working with you on this stuff. And I might, I, I need to have you need to have you on more. I'd love a sleeper's appearance, but I need, need your basketball opinion in the end. And hopefully they'll get in the tournament. And we can talk more Michigan basketball, but appreciate you, Greg. Um, pre appreciate everybody listening out there. Paul, Paul Brown for the question. Appreciate you. The one guy, very reliable until next time, everybody. Thank you. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.